Welcome to the 23rd episode of A Change of the Chance. I'm Ryan Lowe, and my goal is to educate my listeners, especially young ones, on the issues in this world by interviewing different experts who can teach us how to make a difference. After decades of plastic negligence and overconsumptions, after millions of pounds of plastic dumped into our forests, our seas, our parks, and our homes, we've long reached the end game a pivotal point where we go lower and lower into the pit of ruins or a conscientious choice institutionally and personally to find solutions. Will the earth be livable when my generation is ready to have children? That is going to be up to us. So who remembers the incredible organization Al Galita? Al Galita has been fighting plastic with a unique mission and way of thinking. Instead of removing the trash already there, Al Galita stops the plastic from getting there in the first place by going a step further and spending most of their time empowering young people to think critically, demand action, and be agents of change for the future. For the last 25 years, the nonprofit group has been successful in implementing statewide legislations, supporting research expeditions, and implementing waste reduction campaigns in over 24 different countries. They've also created an award known as the Stay Stoke Award, of which I am one of the honorees. I've been so grateful for their support and belief in me. All of that combined, I'm completely ecstatic to welcome Ms. Annika Ballet, the Director of Education at Al Galita. Hi, Ms. Ballet, how are you? Hi, Ryan, I'm great. Thanks for having me on your podcast. Of course, it's an honor. So first of all, could you please tell us more about your role at Al Galita? Sure, so um, as the Education Director, I get to run all of our different education programs that we have uh, in our organization. And this has, I've been working there for uh, almost 10 years. So we've gone through a lot of different programs, tested lots of different things out. But some of the things that we we found to be really effective at helping get our, our messages out into the world are working with teachers. So we develop a lot of teaching materials teaching kits, and we also do things like presentations in classrooms and Q&As and uh, even assemblies sometimes. Um, and we also have started developing a new program called the Wayfinder Society. So I'll be excited to tell you about that too. Um, so yeah, we have lots of different programs that I facilitate. And yeah, we're a really small team. So we just kind of wear a lot of different hats. And we really enjoy talking to young people, especially like you, Ryan, who are thinking about these big questions and, and really thinking critically about them. And that's kind of really what we like to, to focus on. Yeah, well, doing things like that for me and for all other students, it really helps to inspire us. So thank you. So what motivated you to start with Agalita 10 years ago, and how have you helped shape Agalita's mission and methodology? Well, when I was in high school, I was starting to think, okay, what do I want to do? What do I want? Where do I want to go to school? Do I want to study? Do I want to work? And I just knew that one of my favorite things was being outside. I loved playing outside. I liked making little toys out of wood sticks and things like that. And I loved going swimming. So um, yeah, I was really fortunate. And my parents took me camping a lot as a kid. 
And that really instilled in me respect for nature. And so when I was thinking about what do I want to do, I was thinking, okay, well, let's study environmental sciences. So I actually studied earth and space sciences at a school in Germany called uh, Jakobs University. And there I was introduced to the topic of oceanography. And when I was tasked with finding an internship, I actually uh, came across Algalita. And so it was sort of a discovery, but I, um, you know, I was immediately appalled by what I was learning about plastic pollution back then. People, uh, organizations like Algalita were really focusing on the effects that it was having on the ocean and on an ocean animals. And I thought, okay, this is something that I really care about. And I feel like it's, it's really, it's happening right now, right? A lot of environmental issues that I had learned about beforehand were really specific and I couldn't really wrap my head around it so much, but with plastics, I, you know, I was like, this is something that I think I could have an impact on. And so after I graduated from university, I came back home here to Long Beach, California, where Algalita is based. And I went up to them and I, that's how I got, that's how I got into Algalita. I volunteered for a bit. I worked as a, um, as a contractor helping teach um, about plastic pollution. And it that's where the story started. And so over the almost 10 years that I've been working with Algalita now, actually it's I think it's about 10 years to the to the month. So um wow. so that's really exciting. I started working there in the fall of 2012. So yeah, so um over those 10 years I've really been uh yeah I've I've been a core part of the team because we're such a small group and I've been able to sort of bring bring my perspective in and I guess what that is is uh I I focus on trying to keep learning and keep investigating uh keep challenging myself to provide the best explanations that I can about this really complex issue and to also be a really good listener because I think that a lot of uh you know there's so many people that are working on this problem and who are really passionate about it and I think that we really need to um keep listening to each other but also keep challenging each other to to think think through things deeper to ask better questions to look towards more positive outcomes and, and solutions and to, you know, lift each other up as well. Um, so I think that's a little bit of what I've brought to our mission. And our mission at Algalita is to create a world where plastic pollution is unthinkable. So this is sort of um, what we're trying to do is to get people to think differently so that we can create a new a new system new communities where where plastic pollution doesn't even happen because we've designed it out right we've thought ways around it so yeah well uh happy job anniversary first of all thank you um, so i just want you to know angelita is very lucky to have someone like you with your amazing perspective thanks ryan that's awesome so as the director of education, 
What are some of your priorities when it comes to education? How do you balance between the local and global priorities? And what are some of your personal long-term goals for the Algalita education program? Uh, so yeah, some of my priorities are to, like I, I sort of mentioned earlier, is to instill a sense of curiosity in the people that we work with to help them develop critical thinking techniques and strategies and yeah so we we really want to use the issue of plastic pollution as a way to teach a better environmental education there's so many big environmental issues of our time that are connected with our social issues and this is something that you know we think that plastic pollution is is a great topic to use to sort of i guess use it as an example to how can we better teach about environmental topics to so that we can really address them clearly in schools and at home and provide clear pathways forward right there's a tendency or at least when i was in school there's and even today, there I still notice that there's a big focus on the problem when I'd like to see a lot of, you know, focus on the solutions and how do we, you know, stop focusing on what's bad, but look at what what we could do better and what yeah. are the, the great solutions that are coming up and how do we critique those and how do we, you know, help young people get involved in all of that exciting thing, those exciting things that are happening. So those are those are some of my priorities. Um, what was the second part of the question? Uh, well, what are your some of your personal long term goals for? Yeah, I, yeah, I think it, it sort of it plays into that. It, it's really interesting because as an education organization, we are sort of automatically thinking in a long term way because we're investing our time and energy into creating, into shaping minds. And so that happens over a really long term. And so, yeah, I think so all of my goals that I just mentioned are, are my long-term personal goals as well. Right. How, and that's yeah. something that we're sort of constantly working on and we're, we're continuing, we're, always going back to what we did last year and how can we make it better and how can we improve this program? How can we um, make it more fun? How can we make it more meaningful? And so those are some some of my long-term goals uh, with this work is just constantly improving. And um, and it takes a lot of work to do that. It takes a lot of work to, to stay up with all the new information that's coming out every day, which is, it's amazing to see how there's so many people that are working on plastics issues now that, you know, there it's almost impossible to keep up with everything, but that's really good news, right? Like we're really making progress. So, um, so yeah, so those are some of my long-term goals and um, sorry, I didn't remember the third part either. <laughs> uh, you can talk about balance between those priorities the smaller ones and the larger Yeah, so um, you mentioned that we do, we have local and global programs. And, you know, though I guess the way that we balance between that is 
we've, because we're such a small team, we sort of take what comes at us and we focus on the people that are really interested in, in working with us. And so yeah. more than try to pick like, okay, so we really want to, you know, get our reach like more global this year. We, we don't really think that way. We think more, okay, so we have these people that have who want to work with us and who have contacted us. So let's focus on them because we're a small team. We sort of focus on uh, quality over quantity. And so, um, but yeah, so we also do have a big focus on, you know, extending our reach locally. So how do we, how do we get the, how do we better serve the communities that are right around us? And we do that with, um, we've been, we've been developing a refill store at our office. So we have um, that as a way that our local community can really get involved with, with what we do. Mm, That's really cool. Just the mindset going in with improvement and quality of the quantity. I feel like if everyone did that, our world would look a lot better. <laughs> so another incredible part of Agalita's education effort is, of course, the Wayfinder Society. So I remember learning so much from all the eye-opening units, like the whole plastic documentary. That was really interesting, all of the ones around that. Can you tell the audience what that is and how can students really use the Wayfinder Society to be inspired and get themselves immersed in change making? So Wayfinder Society is our newest program. It's an online learning and action platform where we have collected all sorts of different lessons and calls to action that students can take part with, take part in. And we've developed some of them from our past experience, but we've also worked with many different partners around the world who are addressing plastic pollution as well. So it's a place to really explore the movement as a young person or as a teacher who's trying to get their, or introduce their students to the topic of plastic pollution. So it's sort of a a place where you can go to get inspiration and to get ideas and to get guidance on on your efforts towards addressing this really big issue that so many people care about. Um, We're actually right in the midst of updating the program. So we are going to be relaunching it soon. And some of uh, the new changes that you can look forward to in this program are earning hours for your work. So you can collect. Um, so as you spend time on these different lessons and action items, you'll be uh, rewarded with different um, with different amounts of hours. So you can then show that you've spent a certain amount of time on this issue. Um, and you can use that for your extracurricular uh, goals or for your service learning hours or community service hours. And we really wanted to improve the program to um, make it more meaningful for all of um, the young people that are that are getting involved in this issue and to really show that how much effort they're putting into changing this 
to, to solving plastic pollution. So, um, so yeah, so it's a, it's a free program. Anybody can use it. And um, yeah, it's, it's pretty simple to use and it's, we're trying to make it a place that you can just go and explore and develop different skills and learn new things and just have a lot of fun with addressing plastic pollution. Yeah. Well, making it such a fun platform, it really is, is a great way to connect with kids. So good job. So I had recently learned that Angelita, collaborating with many other incredible organizations, helped analyze samples from all five subtropical gyres. That word is relatively new to me. So what exactly is a gyre? How crucial are they to restoring our environment? And what exactly does analyzing them entail? Great question. So our organization, the first, uh, you know, around 15 to 20 years of our existence, we really focused on analyzing ocean samples for plastics. So I can tell you why, how this started. Our founder, uh, the founder of our organization, Captain Charles Moore, he was actually sailing back from Hawaii. He, he participated in a sailing race from California all the way to Hawaii. It takes over a week to get there. Oh. And, and they decided on their way back to do something kind of unusual. They actually went through this part of the ocean called the doldrums. You might have heard that term when you were learning about uh, trade routes and um, and ancient sailors. And they uh, learned to avoid these parts of the oceans because there's not a lot of wind there and they could get stuck out there. But this boat that our founder has had motors on it. So they decided to go through that area and just to sort of check it out. And they started to see little specks floating in the water, which they fished out with little fishing nets <laughs> and they noticed that it was plastic. So this was back in the early 1990s. Wow. And they thought, okay, this is weird. Why is plastic out here? so far away from land, right? Where is it coming from? How's it getting out here? So they decided to develop a technique to measure it. They went back to shore and they worked with an organization called the Southern California Coastal Water Research Project or SQUIRP. And uh, they, so they developed a technique to measure the plastics and to figure out, okay, why are they way out in the middle of the ocean? They came back out there a few years later with um, their strategy, their plan to measure the plastics. And what they found was, was wild. They found lots of plastics floating in the surface water with the plankton that should be there. And they called them microplastics. I can't remember if, I think that term sort of developed over time, but this, so microplastics today are defined as pieces of plastic that are smaller than five millimeters in size. So sort of like a small pea or a lentil, if you know what that is. So, um, so smaller than that. Wow. So they noticed, they started counting this, the plastics that were out floating. This was 
a couple hundred miles north of Hawaii. So it's right way out in the middle of the ocean. You can think about a third of the way from California to Japan, if you can picture a map of the North Pacific Ocean in your head. And so, yeah, it's a big, big, big place. And they actually worked with some oceanographers who study the ocean. And in oceanography, the term gyre is used to refer to a big circulating system of currents. So you can imagine Finding Nemo, remember that movie? And they took the currents across the ocean, right? They're sort of pathways within the ocean where the ocean, where the water moves in one direction constantly. And so these currents are what actually pull the plastic that gets littered and emptied into the ocean. It makes its way into the ocean, either purposefully or accidentally, and dumped or, or spilled. And once it uh, washes down the streams and the rivers from inland and it gets to the ocean, it gets picked up by these currents. And these currents move in this circulating system around our oceans. So the North Pacific Ocean actually has one really big circulating system of currents in it. And it sort of moves in a really big circle that fills the whole ocean. And it actually collects the plastics. You can think of it sort of like a vortex or a whirlpool, but really, really massive. And it actually circulates over like 10 to 20 years. It will make one big, like a, something floating could travel in a big circle for 10 to 20 years or even longer. And as it goes, it sort of drifts toward the center of that big current system or that gyre. And so it, these gyres are natural phenomenon that are collecting our plastic waste in their centers. So that's sort of what, um, yeah, so the answer is what's, what's a gyre and uh, how, does how do we research them and the plastics that are in them? And it's really important to, to understand this because they are showing the, like how plastics are impacting these habitats, right? So we can understand how are they impacting the, the organisms that live there. Scientists are now even looking into how are they physically impacting the ocean's ability to absorb carbon. Ooh. So carbon sequestration happens in the ocean and it's one of the biggest forces against our increasing temperatures on our planet. Yeah. And, and so there are potentially these big connections between plastic pollution in our oceans and and our and our and climate change. Plastics, if you if you don't know, they're actually made from fossil fuels. So there's another big connection there to climate change. So these big issues that we're talking about are so interconnected, which I'd like to say, if no matter what you're interested in, if, if you're super passionate about climate change, but you don't have the energy to think about plastic pollution, that's fine. They're connected, right? So know that you're doing your part no matter what. Uh, so what does it take to heal our gyres? Just and get rid of all of the swirling plastic inside? Great question. 
there are some groups that are looking at how do we remove the plastics? But Algalita's perspective is that we have to focus on stopping the flow into the oceans first. It's kind of like you have an overflowing bathtub. And if you're just trying to shovel out the, the water from the bathtub and dump it outside so it doesn't flood your bathroom, that's the wrong thinking. Let's turn the water off first, right? So yeah. it's sort of it's an analogy to, to why we say let's focus on preventing plastic pollution before cleanup. Yes, cleanup is important. It's a really great way to see how how bad the problem is, but we think that we need to focus on on prevention. So that's why we do education. Yeah, that, that's a great idea. Great way to think. And once we get done with that and we slowly stop the flow of all of it, then we can tackle that and we'll have a more clean environment than we did for the last many decades. Exactly. So as I mentioned earlier, Algalita has also engaged in political action. First of all, that was new to me, which is really cool. And it's just so amazing that you fight the plastic problem from all different angles. Secondly, what exactly was this legislation that you helped pass in the California government? And what advice do you have to others who want to engage in political action in the future? Yeah, so we, um, this was actually before I was involved. So uh, quite a while ago, we've we've dabbled in, in political action here and there. And especially when it's local, we, uh, local policies, we will, we will uh, definitely support those. Um, we'll put more energy into those. Um, but this was uh, back in our in our research days. Our team went out to investigate a certain type of plastic pollution that isn't coming from consumers like you and I and using plastic and and litter that comes from that, but from companies that actually make plastic. So when companies make plastic out of fossil fuels, they first form the plastic into tiny little beads. Like you can think of beads that you would make a necklace out, out of, except for they don't have a hole in the middle. And so they're little plastic pellets or nurdles, they're sometimes called. And these uh, nurdles or pellets, uh, our team was finding them in the ocean and on our beaches and trying to figure out, okay, what is this? Where is it coming from? And essentially what they decided to do was to investigate how, like where these plastics were coming from in LA and in Long Beach, where, where we live, so in LA County. And they sort of did some investigations where they looked, okay, where are these spilling from? And then they found that they were coming from facilities that made plastic products. So these little pellets are shipped around the world. They're shipped in shipping containers, on trucks, trains, and they're transported in big boxes and big bags, and they can easily get spilled uh, into the environment or just onto oh. the floor where they might wash down the drain of the facility right into this, the storm drain next door, next right next to it which obviously goes straight to the ocean. Yeah. So 
our team uh, you know, collected this information and wrote a massive report about this. And that actually helped um, develop or it, it supported, uh, or, or I guess it, it led to the development of Assembly Bill 258, which then uh, prohibited these facilities from spilling the pellets into, into the environment. Um, so that was uh, over 10 years ago, and more and more people around the world are starting to, you know, are, are investigating these pellets. I don't think we we were the first ones, but we were pretty pretty early on in this in this work. And yeah, so so it's really an issue all over the world. There are pellets found in beaches in New Zealand, in Brazil, in the UK, really everywhere where plastics are being produced, which is pretty much you know everywhere. There are certain hot spots where there's more areas where there's less of it. But because they're transported globally, they really end up everywhere. And yeah, yeah so that's so that's uh, sort of the probably the biggest uh, impact that we've had on on policy in California. It's unfortunately a problem still because, it's really hard to measure or regulate this bill, right? Yeah. Really hard to find these facilities and to make sure that they're following the rules. And, you know, they can get big fines for spilling plastics, but there isn't a lot of money to monitor them. Um, and so they often get away with it. Yeah. And so there's a lot of uh, a lot of work that's that's still happening. Uh, around the world, in the across the U.S., to to address this issue that is ongoing. Yeah, well, hopefully the chain reaction continues and makes more ideas for how yeah. we can help regulate and stop nurdles. Yes. <laughs> so another amazing project that you and Angelita have taken on is developing the first ocean plastic pollution teaching kit, just like legislation. Something like this is incredibly crucial to this cause, and you cannot stop setting the precedent, at least in my mind. What is actually included in this kit, and would you be willing to share with us what you consider the most important part of it? Sure. So our teaching kit is called the Debris Science Investigation Kit, and teachers across the U.S. who work at public schools can get one for free. Um, so inside of the kit, there are a couple different lessons and these, and, and all the materials are included. So if you're listening to this and you are in middle school or high school and you want to get one for your classroom, you can, um, tell your teacher, um, to get to order one. And so I'll give you the link. Uh, Ryan, and you can you can put it up on your on your podcast uh, description or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And um, so the kit is a, um, it's introducing you to the topic of ocean plastic pollution, and it talks about gyres. It talks about um, there are ocean samples in there, so you can actually see one firsthand. It's a real ocean. Uh, water sample from the North Pacific gyre. And there's also a lesson where you're 
learning how to do some geography. So you're learning how to map different locations on a map. You're looking at how plastics float and sink in water and all sorts of different aspects of this issue. So yeah, so definitely um, if you're interested or if you're a teacher, you can just order one for your classroom. And it's one of the coolest things about it is that it's completely reusable. Wow. And so you can use it year after year. You can share it with other classrooms at your school. And the bonus is that there's a copy of Captain Charles Moore's book in there, Ooh. The Plastic Ooh. Ocean. Yeah. So you can put that in your classroom library or your school's library. So uh, we can find this on the Algalita website? Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay, perfect. I will definitely check that out. Uh, so before we end this episode, I do have to circle back to what I was saying in the opening. Do you believe that the Earth will be livable by the time my generation has children? So let's say 2050 at that. I... Yes, I believe that it's going to be livable. I think that it will be really different. I think that there's going to be lots of new challenges, but I am actually really inspired and I get more optimistic every time I talk to young people because the questions that you all are asking me when I, when like in, in interviews like this one or when I go to classroom and do presentations, the questions that I'm getting are so different from what I was getting even just five years ago. Five years ago, I was still getting questions about, okay, so what is the biggest problem with plastics in our ocean and how are they affecting animals, which are important things to know. But the questions that I'm getting today are more about how is plastic pollution connected to climate change? And what can we do to solve this issue? And how are our communities going to come together to make this happen? And so that shift in mindset that you all have already at such a young age um, really inspires me. And I think that we're definitely going to be moving in the right direction. Um, and you know, this issue is, is now a global topic it is being addressed at the UN level uh, and, you know, it. people are really taking it seriously and people are much more aware of things like greenwashing and these different techniques that are being used to confuse consumers and to continue the use of, of plastics in harmful ways. So I think that there, you know, there's a lot of progress in thinking that is already happening. And so I, that's my, that's why I think that we're going to, we're going to get through it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, for my generation, none of us could have the potential to think of all these questions without knowing that there are people in the older generation who do still care and who can still influence us. So thank you so much. Thank you, Ryan. So yeah, Ms. Mallon, thank you so much for joining us today. Through all the amazing projects you and Al Galitha have taken on, I want you to know how much you've inspired me and others like me. Thank you so much. It's really, it's been a really fun talking with you. And yeah, I really always look, look forward to what you're doing next, who you're talking with next. So yeah, I'm really honored to be uh, a part of your podcast. So yeah, thank you so much. No, thank you.
So that's it for A Change of the Chance, episode 23. I hope you learned something, and I'll see you in the next episode. Bye.